Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Okay, you guys ready to get into the Word this morning? A couple weeks ago, I taught on a message called Purifying Prayer. Talked about four false identities we take with us in the place of prayer. Anyone recall those? Right, Matthew 6, the Pharisees, the first one was this, the, the person who prays because of their reputation. They're seeking a reputation uh, as a spiritual person. They love to pray out loud. They love to pray in front of people. It's all about their reputation. Do things to boost your reputation. Don't do anything that could harm your reputation in the place of prayer. Also, in Matthew 6, Jesus exposed the babbler, the man who just repeats the same thing over and over and over and over again, and he does it because he actually doesn't know who God is. So he just babbles in the place of prayer. And then we looked at Luke 18. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee goes to the temple, the sinner goes to the temple, and the Pharisee shows his self-righteousness in prayer. God, I've done so many, I've fasted, I've, I've done all these things for you. And he believes because he's done those things that he has more access to God, that he's God's favorite. He's a self-righteous praying person. <clears throat> but also in the same token, he begins to despise the sinner next to him. And he says pretty much, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. So the fourth false identity was this, the elitist, the person who is so elite in the place of prayer that no one could compare to them. No one can pray as good as I can pray because I'm better than all of you. So you have the reputation seeker, you have the babbler, you have the self-righteous one, and then you have the elitist. And we talked about the one thing or there's a couple. There's a lot of things these, these kind of people have in common. Is that one is that they're imposters. When you're praying from an identity that's not you, you're an imposter in the place of prayer. God's not really into that. But the one thing we hit was those four false identities. What's so important about them that we need to realize is that their heart has become disconnected from God. That's huge. Um, if, uh, let's see here. If you need one, I've got a little handout here that goes with this. If you need one, raise your hand. Anyone need one? Okay. David and Joe, could you guys help pass some of these out? The front and back. So you can write those four false identities on one side. And at the bottom, at the root of these false identities is a heart that is disconnected from God. In Matthew 18, Jesus said that these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Another translation puts it this way. This is powerful. It says, these people place a correct evaluation upon me with their lips. And with lip service gives to me all due reverence and adoration. But their heart holds back at a great distance from me. What's absolutely crucial in your prayer life, individually and corporately, is your heart. 
engagement with God. We were in prayer this past Wednesday morning, 7 a.m., we're praying in there, and one brother, he prayed with his heart. You can sense it. It shifted everything. There's something about our heart engaging with God in the place of prayer. That's what we want. It's okay if it gets messy. It's okay if it gets ugly. It's okay if it breaks the form of stuff. It's okay. We need hearts engaged in the place of prayer. We don't need to pray from our mind and just say things and even just quote the scriptures. We need hearts that are engaged in the place of prayer. And so today on the, your handout there, you'll see on the other side, five guiding principles Jesus establishes for prayer. Now he establishes more than this, but I would say these things maybe in my mind and even in the word stand out the most, okay? And so when we talk about these principles, uh, don't get caught in once again just going to the form and just going through the checklist of these things when you pray, all right? It's not about the form, it's your heart being engaged with the Lord the whole time. And what Jesus says about prayer should be very, very important to us. Why? Well, he's the lead intercessor of heaven. He's the only one who actually knows how to pray. So whenever he talks about prayer, he is giving us absolute gold. And we have to hold on to it. Let's pray and let's dive in here. Father, we thank you for your glorious grace that you have bestowed upon us. And we ask today that you would teach us how to pray, that you would teach us how to connect with you, to be one with you in the spirit. Father, there's so much more you are calling us into when it comes to prayer. And God, I'm asking that today we would take another step forward into the spirit when it comes to prayer, that we would experience more of your fullness in the place of prayer. I pray that you would stir hearts to pray, to seek you, to lay everything else aside, and to go after you, Lord. I pray for the hearts that are dead, the hearts that are not alive when it comes to prayer. I pray that by the spirit, you would awaken them. God, would you come in? Would you sharpen us? Would you evaluate us? Would you awaken us? Would you speak to us? I pray that you would have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Open up your word to John 14. We're going to go through a lot of scripture today. The more I think about, I'm going to give account to the Lord one day. As a teacher of his word, so I just want to say more of what the Bible says and leave a lot of my commentary out of it. I don't want to get caught up tickling your ears. John 14. The first principle here. I'm going to read a couple of passages and let's see if you can see what the first principle Jesus teaches, teaches about prayer. John 14, verse 12. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Go to John 15, verse 16. Jesus says, 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And now last one, chapter 16, verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Principle number one. Jesus is saying to us, ask in my name. And Jesus, you read this initially and you think he kind of leaves it wide open. Ask anything in my name. Anything. And I think the Lord's heart for us when it comes to prayer is that he wants us to know that God is not stingy nor greedy, but he's actually friendly and really wise. Jesus wants to make sure there's no reason for us to not approach God when it comes to the place of prayer. So he, he puts it out there, ask anything. All right, Lord, my toe hurts. Lord, I can't pay my bills. I want a new car. I want a bigger house. So my, my question for us this morning is, can we really ask for anything? From A to Z. Anything, everything, is it, is it really open and available before the Lord? I want to bring up four points that's going to really help us, this, this, this principle of asking in his name. Because there's a lot of goofiness in prayer where we do, we start asking for things that I really wonder, is, is that what Jesus really wants to do? He wants everyone to have a BMW. He wants everyone to have a three-story house and everything perfect in life and no hiccups, no bumps. Maybe he really wants us to have the front row parking spot at the store, right? We had all the green lights going down, you know, South Florida. I mean, right? Like, is that, Lord, you said anything. But the truth is, it's not really about that. So let's, let's clean up some, some, th- some areas in the place of prayer. I want you to think about the greater context of these verses, Let's go back to verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. Think about what he is saying around this principle of asking in my name. Verse 12, he says, he says, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. And then he goes on to tell us to ask in his name. What's the greater context? Greater works. Our asking should be somewhat connected to greater works. If you're going to ask in his name, he's saying, ask me anything in my name, especially when it comes to doing the work of the ministry. Anything you might need for the work of the ministry is free game. Anything you need to do greater works in his name is free game. Okay, let's go to verse or chapter 15. What's he say here? Oh, he says, he's called, he's, he's, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Okay? Well, he's saying, hey, what, what do you need? 
Ask in my name. If you need anything when it comes to your life and bearing good fruit, fruit that remains, ask me. It's free game. When I think of fruitfulness, I think of character transformation. Anything you need to be transformed more into the image of Christ, he says, ask in my name. I'll do it. And our last point, John 16, verse 23. In verse 22, he talks about how you're going to have sorrow, but I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice because I'm being taken away from you. Hey, Rubes. And he says, until now you haven't asked, but ask in my name that your joy may be full. So anything you and I may need when it comes to personal satisfaction in the Lord, personal joy in difficult times, he says, it's free game. Ask me. Any any kind of personal joy, satisfaction in Christ that you need from him, he says, ask that in my name. So three areas, your public ministry, doing greater works, fruitfulness in your life, character transformation. Three, personal needs, your joy, the ability, the the encouragement to follow Jesus. Any of those things, three, three things you need, he says, ask in my name, it's absolutely free game. Do those things include this crazy stuff out there, cars and bigger houses and all that stuff. I don't really, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, my second point, I want you to think about this. Think about when Jesus said this in John 14, 15, 16. He says this towards the end of his time with the disciples. They had been with him for three years. Put yourselves in the disciples' shoes. You've been with this man for three years. You've seen him raise the dead. You've seen him feed 5,000. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him do all the works of the ministry. And you're most likely thinking, oh gosh, Jesus is leaving. What are we going to do now? Because we can't do that stuff. I can't raise the dead. I can't, I don't have a prophetic word for people. I can't do any of that stuff. And yet he tells them, he opens the kingdom, ask me. Anything you saw me do, just ask me and I'll do it. So do you think the disciples were saying, Jesus, you know what? Now that you're leaving, we're going to ask for the palace. Like we want a bigger home. We need a bigger home base. Or Jesus, we want the Clydesdale horse with the wagon that has like the 20-inch rims on that thing. We, that's what we want for the work of the ministry. Like give us the good horses. Or you want the sandals, right? You know, they wore sandals. We want the Air Force sandals. Like is that where, the, you think that's what they were asking for when he decided to leave? No. They're thinking, Jesus, you did all these amazing things, and you're leaving. What do we do now? So he says, hey, whatever you need to do greater works, whatever fruitfulness you need in your life, whatever you need, the personal needs you need, ask me. I'm available. Think about this. Think about what the early church prayed and asked for in the book of Acts. Barry taught him that probably three, four weeks ago. 
Barry hit the four primary corporate prayer meetings in the book of Acts. I want to read to you what they asked for. In Acts 1, they asked for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, they're asking for boldness to speak the word in the midst of persecution, and they're asking for God to stretch out his hand to heal, to perform signs and miracles. In Acts 12, Peter, he's in jail. They're praying that he would be released from prison. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're in jail, and they're praying and they're worshiping. And it leads to the, the, the jail breaking open, the, the guards getting saved, and people in jail getting saved. That's what the early church was asking for. So my question is, when, you, when we think about the state of the church, what are we asking for? And I'm all for, like, we have stuff going on, and we, we got to pray, and we have needs and all that stuff. And that's, that's there. But I feel like most of our time is in that area. My needs, 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 my needs. But you read it in the early church, they didn't really, you don't see a whole lot of that. Amen. So can you really ask for anything in his name? Well, here's the, the final point about this. Think about what does it actually mean to ask in his name? What does it mean? Why does he say, in my name? What does that mean? What, you just say, Lord, we pray that you would uh, heal this person in Jesus' name. Amen. Is asking in his name, is it just slapping the in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer? Is that what that, that means? That you, when you pray, you always got to say it. I don't know, when I first got saved, like, I thought you always had to say that. Otherwise, the prayer didn't work. Or, like, God didn't hear the prayer because you didn't say, in Jesus' name. And then someone would just say, like, amen, and I'm just like, I'll get all riled up. Brother, say in Jesus' name. It's in the name. Is that what that means? No. Let me read you a couple of commentaries, three of them. Here's what they say. Jesus does not invite them to ask whatever you want, but to ask in my name, a phrase that seems to mean ask as if I were asking or ask what I would ask. It is not a matter of an individual's personal whims and desires, but of bringing to realization all that Jesus wants to accomplish in the world. Another man said this, prayers in his name are prayers that are offered in thorough accord with all that his name stands for. Think about what does the name of Jesus stand for? Pray in that direction. One more scholar says, to pray in his name is to pray for those things that correspond to the nature and will of Jesus. Such prayers are always answered. When we voice the desires of the Son, we pray for what is already his will. When we pray in his name, we pray as his representatives. Jesus had a reputation when he was on the earth. When they, when they heard the name Jesus, they we're thinking, okay, that's the guy who, who, who has power. That's the guy who heals, that restores. Like, think about his reputation he had with the disciples. Then he leaves, and now the people say, well, you're the disciples of him. You bear his name and reputation. You must be able to do what he does. And think about Jesus, his reputation in heaven. What is he known for in heaven? 
And here we are, we are to be his representatives of his name. That when we pray in his name, you're supposed to be a reverence and a holiness and a fear. Like we're praying in his name. The name above every single name. It's only at his name demons flee that every single man and woman will bow. And we get to pray in his name. And to think, I fall for, I pray for stuff that like, yeah, I guess, like, yeah, sure, God, it matters, but really, does that like, think about his reputation. Like when the world looks at the church and, and they, they see people, these pastors and leaders praying for these mansions and all that stuff. And they're praying it in his name. That's not it. I want there to be an awe and a reverence in us when we pray in his name. a reverence, but also a confidence that when I ask anything in his name that's according to his nature, that, that it's according to his reputation, I have confidence he'll actually do it. I won't need to waver back and forth. Oh, will he do No. It's according to his nature and his will. I'm going to ask. He said, ask. I'm going to do it. So principle number one, Jesus says to ask in my name. That carries so much more than what I just shared. Going on to the second point. Go, turn over to Mark uh, chapter 11. Mark 11. Jesus, teach us how to pray in your name. In Mark 11, verse 20. <clears throat> Let's look for principle number two. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw a fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Principle number two, he says it in verse 22, have faith in God. When we pray, it's absolutely essential for our faith to be engaged with God. If you don't have faith concerning a matter, don't pray. Wait until you have faith. Just don't start saying things and just talking to God and just yada, 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 and you have no faith engaged with the Lord. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you find yourself praying for something and you actually don't believe it, I would say don't pray. 
Wait until you get a measure of faith to pray for it, even if it's as small as a mustard seed. He can work with that. He can do something with that. But you need to be honest. If you don't have any faith for it, beloved, it's okay. Confess that. Say, Lord, I'm really struggling. I have unbelief. Lord, would you help my unbelief? He can work with that. But when we act like we have all this faith and we really don't, he sees right through that stuff. And he doesn't move. Because he's waiting for you and I to have a measure of faith in him. Your faith, my faith, is one of the most precious and powerful things about us. It absolutely is. I was reading in Jude. Jude tells us. He says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Another translation says it this. He says, I had constant, uh, I had constraint laid upon me to write to you, beseeching you to contend with intensity and determination for the faith once for all entrusted into the safekeeping of the saints. God has entrusted to you this faith. And we're called to guard it and to protect it. And he goes on to say in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. So, question is, are you nourishing your faith? Are you guarding and protecting your faith? Got a little demonstration for us. I think Barry would be proud of me. I got some dirt up here. I got some seeds. So here are two little seeds, right? It's not a mustard seed. It's an apple seed. I had to get creative last night. <laughs> right? So let's put this seed in there. There's... The seed of God in your spirit, your faith in God. There's some good soil right here. But sometimes we don't really guard our faith and protect our faith and nourish our faith as we ought to. I got a lot of things behind this little get gadget here. Here's something that, for whatever reason, we think might nourish our faith. All right, a little bit of YouTube, a little bit of watch this thing, watch that thing. All right, nourish my faith. Or maybe social media. Let's put that in there. That'll nourish our faith, right? Scrolling? Am I scrolling like me? Okay, um... I've got some more things in here. Let's try this. This is sugar. Sugar represents the fun stuff. Let's put a little sugar in there. Represents a little bit of worldly pleasure. Nothing wrong with worldly pleasure, just a little bit. You know what? Sugar represents 
avoiding doing hard things. Avoiding any kind of suffering or hard stuff. Uh Uh-uh. That's for the older generation. They've been through that. For us younger ones, we don't do that. So let's just go ahead. (laughs) We don't do do hard stuff around here. Anyways. Sam, you do hard stuff, but not me. Um, You know, what else we got in here? Well, I think this might be leaking, but this is a poison. This would be good for my faith, right? Just a little bit of sin. Just going to grow my faith, living in sin a little bit. Uh, Don't mess up my phone there. All right, so my faith is really being nourished right now. It's going to grow deep, rich, good faith. Oh, yes, great. Lord, I'm just strengthening myself in you. All right, well, Lord, now that I've, you know, worldly pleasure, just doing what I want, avoiding all the hard stuff, I want it really easy. Let's just flip on this thing here. All right. My faith is getting nourished right now, y'all. Yeah, that's the NBA Finals. Let's go. Anyone, is, this, is it just me or is it, like what are, we, what are you nourishing your faith with? I mean, social media, TV, our gadgets, we got plenty of them. I thought this whole thing too, like with our, our, I got to watch everything. It's supposed to make things easier and like less time consuming, but it actually does the opposite. It's like I waste more time. But this is what we do to nourish our faith in the church. We do all of this stuff and then we pray, or we pray because we feel like we have to, and God tells us to like pray that someone would be healed. And we pray it. But we really don't have any faith if we're honest with ourselves. And the reason is because of this. That's why we don't have faith for healing. We don't have faith for the promises God has spoken over our life to come to pass. Why? Because that's what we're feeding our faith. Well, here, let's just, here. Lord, would you come and cleanse us? Would you renew our faith? Let's just get this out of the way. Let's start again. Okay, fresh soil. Here's the seed. Small as a mustard seed. God begins to remove some stuff. And he decides... This is our little Joanna Gaines pitcher, right? But he says, hey, let's put a little water in there. The water of the word. And I've learned something with Barry. We, we do some planting of trees here, here and there around the, the property. And I always thought, like, you don't want to put too much water in, 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 the, in a new tree because you know, I've heard that you could kill them or whatever. And Barry's like, oh, no, don't worry about that. Barry's like, just pour it on there. It needs a lot of water. You need a lot of the word in your heart, in your soil. Don't think you, you can get too much of it. You need it all in there. 
So we do that. All right, what else we might need in our soil? Fertilizer. Fertilizer is like covenant community. It's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. A brother or sister that can stir you in the Holy Spirit, who can help you in the place of prayer. When you don't feel like praying, you're just kind of out of it. You get next to someone who's ready to pray. All of a sudden, your spirit's awakened and engaged. We need a lot of that. I need a lot of that. When you're living in sin and you need someone to come pull you out, get some fertilizer. Get a brother or sister who will call you higher in the Lord. Fertilizer is good for your soul. Now, some of you, you've been here a long time and you still aren't, don't really believe in this. I feel bad for you. You're missing out on a lot of good stuff. There's things that people carry that you don't carry and you actually need their help in your life. And last but not least, sunlight. Sunlight. Sunlight represents spending face-to-face time with Jesus. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. It's dim, but it's getting brighter and brighter. We're being transformed into his image, into his likeness. We need that. You need that face-to-face interaction with Jesus. If you do just, just those three simple things, you will see your faith stirred and built up and nourished. You'll no longer be malnourished in the place of prayer when it comes to your faith. You will be ready to believe the promises God has spoken over your life and to you. You will even have enough faith to believe for those who don't believe for themselves. But it takes water, it takes fertilizer, it takes sunlight, it takes prayer, it takes the word, it takes time in his presence. It takes friendship. That's what God wants for our faith. Matthew Henry says this about faith. He says, the Christian faith is a trust committed to us. It is a good thing of unspeakable value in itself and which will be of unspeakable advantage to us. It is a good thing, indeed. It is an invaluable jewel, for it discovers to us the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is committed to us to be preserved pure and entire and to be transmitted to those who shall come after us. And we must keep it and not contribute anything to the corrupting of its purity, the weakening of its power, or the diminishing of its perfection. This is our faith. The world is coming after one thing. Not you. It's coming after what's inside of you, your faith. Anything the world can do to diminish it, it'll do. We have to protect and guard the faith that has been entrusted to us. That's the second point. The third principle. In Mark 11, still there. Verse 25. We already hit on this, actually. During communion, verse 25, Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, he's talking about praying here, 
if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither your, will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Two things will greatly hinder our relationship with God and him answering our prayer. One is relational sin. If you have a relationship with a brother or sister and there's sin in that relationship, you've offended them, they've offended you, that greatly that will greatly hinder your, your, your ability to get answered prayer from God. Absolutely. Jesus even tells us in Matthew 5, if you have a gift, you bring it to the altar, and you know your brother has something against you, he's like, I don't want your gift. That's not real worship. What real worship is, go to them. Obey my word. That's real worship. Correct the issue. We don't get any free passes and I'm just, I'm thinking, oh, goodness, you know, elections are coming around. <laughs> it's about to get real fun up in here. <laughs> Relational dysfunction, the father, he's looking at us and he's seeing his children. He's like, oh, my children, so much to learn. But if we can just get locked in with each other, get into the conversation, come with humility, come with openness, come with a desire to just want to be reconciled to your brother and sister, God can do he can work with that. But if you don't want it to happen, okay, your prayers will be hindered. Husbands, 1 Peter 3, husbands, prayer leaders of the house, right? Peter says, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving them honor as to the weaker vessel and as being co-heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands, the Lord is saying, Dwell with your wife with understanding, with honor. Treat them well. Love them. They're weaker than you, so don't overpower them. But if you do those things, the Lord's saying your prayers will be hindered. They'll be cut down. They'll be ineffective. So any relational sin, that greatly affects your prayer life. The second dynamic of what can affect our prayer life is sin before the Lord. Proverbs 28, 9 says, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law of the Lord, even his prayer is an abomination. Psalm 66, 18, David says, if I hold iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. Any sin that God has revealed to you and you have not dealt with it, but then you start asking him to bless this and bless that? No. He won't do it. That's not how prayer works. He needs a clean and pure heart. So Jesus makes it clear, Matthew, uh, Mark 11, any unforgiveness in relationship, that is a hindrance to prayer. Think about it. Like what? what could there be anything more important that you can ask God for than being reconciled to your brother or sister? I don't think there is. So, principle number three, practice forgiveness and repentance. Practice forgiveness and repentance. Repentance. 
Okay, principle number four. Are you guys still tracking with me? Go to Luke 11. Lord, teach us how to pray. Luke 11. So this is where the disciples, they've asked Jesus. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We don't know how to teach us. And he begins to share the Lord's prayer with him. And then look at verse 5. He said, it says, And he, Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come on the, his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence. Principle number four, persistence. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give to him as many as he needs. Verse nine goes right along with it. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and knock. The words ask, seek, and knock are actually in the perfect tense in Greek. So here's how it, it reads. So I say to you, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find and keep on knocking and it will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open to him. How easily we are, we get discouraged in prayer. We pray for one day, and we're like, oh, God didn't do it, I'm giving up. We pray for one week, oh, it's not looking like it's going that direction, I'm just going to give up. Jesus is calling and bidding us to get some perseverance in us, to get a strong backbone in the spirit, to keep on knocking, to keep on pushing and pursuing after him. He will, he's faithful to answer. He says, if you do your part, if you're persistent, if you're steadfast in asking, beloved, I'm an extravagant giver. I will give, but I need you to ask and be committed to it. Let me read what Andrew Murray, our brother and teacher Andrew Murray, he's helped me out so much in prayer. Here's what he says, talking about the power of persevering, the school of persevering prayer. He says, the great danger in this school is the temptation to think that it may not be God's will to give us what we desire. If our prayers agree with God's word and are led by the spirit, don't give way to those fears. Learn to give God time. He needs time with us in daily fellowship with him. We must give him time to exercise the full influence of his presence in us. Day by day, as we are kept waiting, it is necessary that faith be given time to prove its reality and fill our beings entirely. God will lead us from faith to vision. 
Don't let delay shake your faith, for it is faith that will provide the answer in time. Each believing prayer is a step nearer to the final victory. It ripens the fruit, conquers hindrances in the unseen world, and hastens the end. Child of God, give the Father time. He is long-suffering over you. He wants your blessing to be rich, full, and sure. Give him time, but continue praying Day and night. Perseverance. Persistence. We have to decide right now, are we going to be persistent or not? Let's not wait till tomorrow. Let's not wait till things get a little better. Let's just decide right here, right now, today, we are going to persevere and be persistent in the place of prayer. If we know that it's his will, we should be all the more confident to stand on his word. We should not be swayed by what we see or what we hear. God, it's your will. I'm standing on it. I'm asking. I'm going to keep knocking. And I'm going to give you time. I'm going to release control. All right, the fifth principle. It's in Luke 11 right here. We'll keep reading verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then... Being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The fifth principle in prayer is dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We cannot talk about prayer and not talk about the Holy Spirit. I can encourage you We can preach messages for the rest of the year on prayer. But if you don't grab hold of the Spirit of God in prayer, you will never really begin to pray. In Romans 8, we know this verse, right? We're weak in prayer. We don't know how to pray as we ought to. But he says, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants to burn in your heart the very will of God? The Holy Spirit knows the will of God, and he's saying, if you come and pray, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to put in your spirit the will of God that you would begin to pray it, and you would be prepared for it to happen. But so often, we just start praying what's just in our mind. We just throw that prayer out there. Throw, we just pray, and we'll see what sticks. And if it sticks, okay, we'll go with that for a little bit. Instead of waiting upon the Holy Spirit and knowing that we know that we know this is his will. And we don't move. We don't budge. We don't even pray until we know. I fall prey to this all the time where I just, I just start saying stuff. And I'm like, Lord, I need to stop saying stuff. I'm not, I stop babbling. You see the fake. You see the phony. I need to wait till I know what the Holy Spirit is saying. <clears throat> Real quick, look at this. There's such a huge conflict that Paul goes through in the book of Acts. Go with me real quick. I want you to see this for yourself. Otherwise, you won't believe it. Acts chapter 20. Verse 
Acts 20. So Paul, he's in Ephesus and he's about to leave and he gives his final word to the elders in Ephesus. And in verse 22, and he says this, he says, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, okay? Paul is going to Jerusalem. Keep that in your mind. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Okay, Paul says, I'm bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Go over to chapter 21. So he begins to set sail for Jerusalem. He makes a couple pit stops on the way there. In chapter 21, verse 4 Look what happens. And finding some disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Wait. Paul was in Ephesus. He knew he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. He's making his way there. He meets some disciples. He shares with them what's going on in his life and his ministry. And that says there, they told him through the Spirit Don't go to Jerusalem. So which one is it? Go? Don't go? Move down a couple more verses. Verse 8. On the next day, uh, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come, he took us, he took Paul's belt, he bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So now he gets a prophetic word saying, no, you are to go to Jerusalem. And guess what? It's going to get bound. Tribulation awaits you. Okay, that's kind of confirmation, but definitely some conflict still. Verse 12, now when we heard these things, who's we? Luke, the writer of the book of Acts and the other disciples. We, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when, we would not be, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the Lord will be done. So here's the question. Was it the will of God for Paul to go to Jerusalem or not? Because you got people, quote, speaking through the Spirit. Right? So the question is, how does Paul know the will of God? How did he know? Go back to chapter 19. So we read in 20, we read in 21. Let's go back a little further, chapter 19, verse 20, where this all started. So he was ministering in Ephesus, powerful ministry. The word of God is growing mightily. Verse 21, when these things were accomplished, that's the work of his ministry, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. Paul determined, he resolved, he got in the place of prayer and he found the will of God. The Holy Spirit burned the will of God in Paul's spirit 
to go to Jerusalem. So it didn't matter what anyone else said. It didn't matter that people were said that he was leaving. He wrestled and he fought and he understood the will of God for his life. Some of us were so confused on God's will for our life because we're caught up in emotions. We're caught up in what other people are saying and we haven't spent time We haven't locked ourselves in the prayer closet and said, God, I need you to speak to my heart. Burn within my spirit your very will. He doesn't only help us in our weakness in praying. He's the one who actually knows the will of God and he wants to tell you the will of God. So all these like prophetic swirls that people go on. All that tells me is that they're just in the flesh. They're listening to people. They're listening to emotions. They're getting caught up in emotionalism. And they have not locked themselves in with the Holy Spirit to where they know that they know what the will of God is. One of the things Josh Todd said last week, it just struck me. He said, one of the purposes of the prophetic ministry is to help speak and reveal the purpose over your life. And I thought to myself, it's amazing how so many of us do not know the purpose of God for our life. And yet in the same... And it's so amazing that the Holy Spirit knows the will of God for our lives. So what do you think we should do? That's the biggest question we have. God, what's your will for my life? What do I do? Where do I go? What do I say? God says, I will tell you, keep knocking, keep seeking, wait for me. Feed your faith. Ask in my name. Persevere. Lean into the Holy Spirit. The, the, time, the moment you want to abort the mission, that is always, guys, hello, that's always the time where you actually have to press a little harder. Always. That should be a gimme. That's like a duh. Anytime you're ready to abort the mission, you're right there. Keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. Can you stand with me? I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to reveal to individuals the Father's will for their life. There's a couple of things that I'm personally just waiting on the Lord, asking, praying, seeking him on as far as the things he's called me to do and all of that stuff. I don't have an answer yet, but I'm determined. I'm going to wait. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to persevere. We need a community of believers who know the will of God, who aren't walking around aimlessly, who are just wandering and wandering around, hoping they'll stumble upon the will of God. You will never stumble upon the will of God. You have to know it. So, Father, we come before you. 
We thank you for your great grace. Your grace, Lord. Your grace is sufficient. Father, I thank you that we do not have to strive to know your will. We need to come before you with boldness and confidence and faith that you desire to speak to us and show us the will for our lives. Lord, I'm praying and asking in your mighty name. I'm asking in your name because I know you will do this very thing. Will you reveal your will to your sons and daughters? Would you, by the Spirit, put within their heart, would you mark their heart with your will that they would do and say the things you are calling them to do and say? that they would no longer wonder what your will is or dream about your will, but they would begin to walk in your divine plan today. And that if it's not today, Lord, they would wrestle and they would wait and persevere until you have spoken to them. God, I thank you that the big decisions that are coming for certain people, God, I pray they would wait for you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you make intercession in our spirits according to the will of God. You are working out the will of God in our lives. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name, in his holy, precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you all. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.